you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Successor The language in this episode may be offensive to some listeners. Listener's discretion is strongly advised. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to the Sixth Sense Report with Darnell Samuels and Joel Nikoloff. Bro, man, we got to talk about this character, Juicy Smouye. What are you talking about? <laughs> Dave uh, Chappelle. Yeah, oh, Chappelle's boy. done it again. Sticks and stones. Yeah, man, he uh, that guy's a character. Let's just put it that way. Okay, well, okay, so just because this is definitely um, something new that we haven't really done before, and hopefully we could do more of these in the future, but why? Well, with, with Afterwatch on the break, we kind of had to fill a, a gap, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So why, why an episode on stand-up comedian Dave Chappelle and his show Sticks and Stones? Like, why why do an episode like this uh i mean my first instincts were i mean i hadn't even i didn't even know that uh the the special had dropped so it dropped on august 26th and i guess late last week like thursday friday i was seeing you know all these articles kind of calling him out of being you know I'll, i'll see if i can find a couple of the headlines like essentially you know, that is controversial. He tries too hard to offend. Um, you know, his new... Uh, you can definitely skip Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special, Sticks and Stones. That's the Vice headline. So it was just like... I mean, there's one by National Review, which is a little bit shocking. Dave Chappelle shouldn't defend Michael Jackson. Um, and so, I mean, there was just so much, like, virtue signaling with, with these articles condemning him. And and Chappelle is a comedian who's on another level. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, I, well, I'm sure we'll get into the to the echelon of comedian that he falls into. Um, but I thought there was just so much negative backlash that that it made me. Simply put, I had to watch that. I had to watch the special based on how much he was getting beaten up by the left. Um, and so I'm guessing there's lots of people in our audience who are curious, but maybe unwilling to watch themselves. So we've got to fill a void for our audience. I think, well, for me, I, I thought it was necessary to do an, an episode on this because I think that Dave Chappelle is a comedic genius, just like any other genius in their particular field and when i say genius i mean his political and economic critiques of the social justice and lgbtq movements are profound and i think the latter applies to us as canadians as being seen as uh, the home of the lgbtq movement also, his commentary on gun culture and mass shootings in the U.S. is intelligent. Um, he has a large audience, and I think he stands alone. Like, there's nobody, like, you guys can tell me, you know, audience listeners, let me know if I'm wrong in saying this, but I think nobody in the world can say what Dave Chappelle can say and make people laugh and con- seriously contemplate what he's saying. And I think that is a point of study, and I think that makes him uh, a culture changer and a, and a historical figure that uh, we're going to have to pay attention to and study and look at his body of work. I think it's that profound. I, I would say I put it in the class of kind of what Carlin was doing in his prime. Um, Sorry, who? He was 
No, George Carlin. Okay. Just, I mean, he did some similar things with respect to just really speaking in a taboo manner, which is what I would say majority of Chappelle's uh, set list or, or, you know, sequences of jokes were, were covering things that were considered taboo. Okay, so let me ask you uh, just quickly, like your your history with Dave Chappelle and what you know about him in a bit. For those of because because we might we might have listeners who don't know who Dave Chappelle is, so like quickly, what would you say about Dave Chappelle and your interactions with him? Um, I mean, as a it's funny, I actually was first. I can remember. I distinctly remember the first time I saw Half Baked. What's half um, What's half baked about? Um, that is, I, I would, I think you would call it Chappelle's, like, you know, primary, if not really his only video that he like he wrote it. Um, but it was like just a comedy movie, uh, and it's about a bunch of stoners who, you know, without getting into the movie too much, but. Uh, just a bunch of stoners who have a random sequence of events happen to them and they got to help their buddy out and, you know, just a bunch of stoners acting stupid. It's it's almost a throwback to Cheech and Chong, um, but I would think a little bit more structure. Um, but still, I, and so I watched it with my wife's brother, who's actually my best friend, um, part as like we were hanging out with me and him, hanging out with two girls as part of our, like, I think it was our grade eight grad which, I mean, you're too young to really have any sort of grad celebration. So we just, like, the four of us hung out watched the, and watched this movie. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the first time I saw that movie. And then because Jenna, my wife's brother, is my best friend growing up, we, I mean, I watched this movie countless times. Just, you know, VHS okay. back in the day. Um, and then I can remember also watching uh, Chappelle's show, again, with Jenna's family, her brother's you know, essentially having those things on DVD um, and definitely uh, not something I would definitely not recommend Chappelle's show as a uh, family time show in any capacity. Um, but I do think if you are in a, you know, and we'll get into, you know, who should watch his content. I think looking at some of his content, you would see the comedic genius uh, come out through Chappelle's show as well. What was your exposure to Chappelle, well, like I said before, in, um, my interview with IJ, I was you know, in my younger days, I was studying to be a comedian, so I, I took the craft very seriously, and I you know, dip and dabbled with it. So I was familiar with with, with Dave Chappelle, but when I became a Christian, uh, I kind of cut all that stuff out. So when the when you know during the you know the heyday of the Chappelle show, I wasn't watching it. I couldn't watch it. Um, so for the listeners are kind of like, oh, okay, that sounds more my speed. Yeah, I, I couldn't watch it, um, his stuff, just because uh, it wasn't good for me where I was spiritually. I was still, you know, growing and didn't want any of that bringing me down. But I, I would also say one of the reasons why I respect Dave Chappelle is because he walked away from the Chappelle show because of convictions he had about his content. Uh, for those of you who don't know, so he basically walked away from a deal with uh, Comedy Central because they were going to ask him to re-up and do a season. I think it was like season three or season four. But anyways, they were asking him to, to, to continue the show because it was like the top show on TV. And he walked away from all that money. And the reason why he walked away was because of conviction. Um, he did a joke where he was uh, dressed up as a black person, you know, and there was a white guy behind the camera who was laughing. And Dave Chappelle said he was laughing harder than he should have. And it made Dave Chappelle feel bad about the jokes he was making and that it was hurting black people. So from that conviction he had, he shut it down, um, stopped the show, moved to Africa and stopped the show Cold Turkey. And just walked away from it all, um, and disappeared. Didn't tell nobody where he went. Disappeared for a couple of years, and then came back. So for that, um, you know, it shows that he does have scruples. So, um, I, I respect him for that. But real quick, Joel. So, 
before we get into the show, what, you know, because we have a Christian audience who's listening and they're like, okay, so Darnell wasn't listening to Dave Chappelle when he first got saved. So he must be a guy who's not helpful for Christians. So should a Christian watch Sticks and Stones by Dave Chappelle? What would you say? Uh, I think it's not a, a, an answer, a question I could give a blanket answer to say, you know, all Christians should avoid this or, or I mean, is watching ship, you know, comedy of this, let's call it elk, um, sinful. I don't think the answer is in a, uh, no, or sorry. I don't think it's sinful to watch this content, um, in and of itself. With that said, um, you know, applying the biblical, a biblical principle to this, if you find that watching content that's touching on subject, like, so if you're watching a TV show that has any sort of sexual content, even if it's just simply people in relationship and that's causing you to become lustful, well, to continue to watch that content would be would be sinful. But to watch that content without knowing that it's going to cause you that kind of, uh, you know, temptation and then just experience the temptation wouldn't be regarded as sinful. So in that regard, I think there's a bit of uh, discernment required, um, you know, knowing where are you at in your spiritual walk, knowing where you're at um you know, in your maturity, um, or, or simply put, you know, if you're a young Christian who's, you know, new to the faith, then, then watching any sort of content that isn't, uh, about feeding your soul positively, um, it would be, I would be, uh, telling them to really take, you know, take your time and think wisely before, um, watching some content like this. Okay, and then I would say that of the biblical warnings that we see in First Thessalonians chapter five verse twenty-two, abstain from all appearances of evil, and Philippians chapter four verse eight about finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think of these things. We should use discernment when navigating secular entertainment. With that said, for those people who are mature enough to be able to see the truth, beauty, and goodness in the set you should watch it and i think you said you said it best to me joel like you wouldn't recommend this show to just anybody but because you know me you would uh recommend it to me and because you know me you know i'm all i'm i i, I love comedy uh, and technically it was recommended to me by uh you know our guy jade you know shout out to jade dylan who said like yo darnell you need to take this in and you need to talk about this. So um, thank you for the idea, Jade. And yeah, so, you know, there, there's there's still a discernment there. But for those people who don't have that discernment, it's okay. We here at the Sixth Sense Report aren't in the business of stumbling our brothers and sisters and calling them to do something they can't do or don't want to do. What, we're, what Joel and I are going to do is we will be doing the watching for you. So you don't have to watch the show uh, we'll watch it for you and we'll break it down and really hit the key points that are good key talking points for um, for good conversation. So without further ado, uh, let's look at the first um, sequence. We're going to be looking at uh, five. So so before we yep. jump into the content, if you haven't seen the show or the episode and you want to watch it, recommendation would be to watch it because I don't we're not going to be giving some crazy level of spoilers, but. But in order to talk about the jokes, we're going to have to kind of go into maybe, detail. Just maybe ruin the punchline a little bit or, or a couple of the punchlines. I mean, yes. it's, the whole thing is just constant punchline, right? Yes, so, of course. And, and um, rule of thumb, just for everybody to know, you shouldn't be retelling comedians' jokes because it's just never going to be funny. So don't expect Dave Chappelle from Joel Nikoloff. It's not going to happen. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to do it justice. Yeah, yeah. Um, we won't. Yeah, 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 yeah. So please don't be like, oh. Darnell's not funny. I'm like, well, no, I'm not trying to be. I'm just telling you what he said. So the the, the five things we're going to um, touch on this episode are um, his impressions, uh, celebrity hunting season, or um, uh, cancel culture. And then third, we're going to talk about 
alphabet people uh, and transracial ideas. Uh, four, we're going to talk about mass shootings. And five, we're going to talk about the secret epilogue. Don't forget Juicy Smouye, bro. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Juicy <laughs> Smouye. <laughs> we'll yeah, just yeah. have a, you know, I, I, it'll kind of, I think, come up. And it'll flow. It'll flow like, in okay. there. Okay, but, cool. Because, um, yeah. Okay, it, good. I, I, so, okay, okay. So, let's start. Um he opens up with impressions. So talk about what happened in um well, in, in that. Technically, impression. it's 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 joke two, uh, or or sequence two. Okay. But he kind of says, "Oh, I'm I don't normally do this, but I'm going to start with impressions." Um, what I think is really funny about that is he's kind of lying to the audience because he's saying, "I never do impressions," but in reality, he. He does do impressions. He just doesn't explicitly do impressions. So what I mean by that is he doesn't... The impressions aren't usually the joke. Impressions, you know, filter throughout his jokes as a means to convey the story. Um, you know, so uh, throughout he, he does an impressions of Nigerians. He does a heroin addict, a white heroin addict, a Chinese person. Yeah, know, but for that set, well, what was the key one for this set? So... Okay, so my point is though, like he does impressions all the time. With this, he he starts out going, he does one impression, which we won't speak about, but it's it's pretty funny. It's just a one liner. Um, second one, he's doing, he's asking the audience to tell, oh, who am I? Who am I? Right? And he goes on this rant, and and essentially he's he's going on a rant, mocking the cancel culture, as he refers to, it, and goes. I am you. And he points at the audience and he's like, you guys are the ones who are going to, you know, doesn't matter what I say, 10, 30, 20 years from now, you're going to use it against me when that, when that issue or that joke is so far offside. But at the time that I said it, it wasn't. Um, and so I just, I thought it was, if you look at this whole show as a body of work, it, it actually, t- you know, pl- the fact that the, sh- the, the com- comedy special is called sticks and stones. He's, really referencing this idea of like why are we allowing the things people say to play so much of an impact um in the sense of just simply you know someone's opinion is different than mine therefore i need to you know uh punish them right or or cancel culture idea right with regards to kevin hart which comes up later in his his set or or things along those lines someone says something one point in time now it's time to you know go after them abundantly or or super aggressively, um, and so I think he does a really good job with with that joke just to set the stage for the audience because they're about to hear a serious sequence of jokes. Like I think literally every joke after that is largely considered offside to talk about. Right. I I you would know. add that. Also, before, like, as the show opens up, he opens up with a line from Prince, uh, the song 1999. And he quotes and he says, I was dreaming when I wrote this. Forgive me if it goes astray. But when I walk, sorry, when I woke up this morning, could have sworn it was judgment day. The sky was all purple. There were people running everywhere, trying to run from the destruction. You know, I didn't even care. And so that, what, what, why did that stand out to you so much? Uh, well, well, of course, well, well, he he quotes from one of the greatest musicians alive, but also uh, that yes, he he is trying to run from the destruction, but he didn't even care. But there's definitely, um, he's definitely calling on the fire, or or as we say, um, he wants the smoke, and he's looking for, um judgment from people but he doesn't care he's going all in on this episode and that's what he was letting us know um that he's he's going to speak his mind and he's he's going to speak it freely and that's exactly what he did uh in this set where he jumps into talking about celebrity hunting season right or or cancel culture what did you think about that um i think you know the celebrity hunting season thing i think he he addresses the absurdity of the principles that are underlying so much of the things that are going on in mainstream culture today. And so what I mean by that is um, the, the cancel culture 
is or or you know the celebrity hunting season for example you know kevin hart um he's he he's pointing out that like okay wait what is the principle that underlines why we're upset here and and although he's not explicitly saying that he's using jokes to demonstrate that if we take this principle and apply it in different contexts and it's not just this cancel culture i think this is actually a really good uh, summary of his comedic genius that that why I find it so uh, such of high quality comedy because he's taking you down a string of uh, concepts and and jokes but he's maintaining that principle and then all of a sudden he applies that principle to a scenario and goes all of a sudden you're like but that doesn't make any sense but he's being logically consistent um, and so you know the celebrity hunting season one gets into um, the use of a word that largely. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, I, hold on. Let me just speak on um, the Kevin Hart real quick. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's. Yeah. So he, he says, uh, you know, four tweets that Kevin Kevin Hart is four tweets shy of being perfect, and I thought that, although you know, these guys are all you know buddies and they're all running the same group, I think. Dave Chappelle in that sequence, he set himself apart from Kevin Hart where he was saying like, okay, yeah, he was four tweets shy of being perfect. And those four tweets were talking about um, the F word. But as Joel is about to jump into that, but I think that he was saying, okay, you know what? Kevin Hart was doing his thing because usually uh, comedians are to be unapologetic. And Kevin Hart was unapologetic until, of course, until he apologized. Uh, for the comments he made and therefore that kind of compromised his craft as a comedian and being honest in his assessment of things so now Dave Chappelle steps in and he's like well guess what I'm going to be honest and then that's where Joel is about to pick up into the F word yeah so I think you know this is where you know he what he's pointing at is like or, or, I mean, what he's playing, the Kevin Hart scenario, he, he, I mean, he unpacks it a bit to get to the point that, like, you know, the, going, he's, he's playing back to that joke where he's mocking the audience or, or, you know, the culture um, of there's no, uh, you know, there's no, nothing I can do, or I, I always need to be worried about what I do today coming, catching, coming up to me in five to 10 years. Or what he's really saying at the same time is like, I don't care. I'm not going to care. You know, comedy is not about, you know, um, and, and actually it comes up in the epilogue, um, when he tells a story, but we'll get to the epilogue thing later. Um, but it comes up in a manner of, you know, if we're unable to laugh about things, um, you know, that that kind of demonstrates, I think, more about the audience than it does about the person who made the joke. Right. That, that was culture. offside. Now, granted, there's, you know, there's certain jokes that, like, aren't funny and they're just malice. Um, and so this is where I would say if you're reading an article on this comedy special and the the author is kind of describing it in a way that's like painting Dave Chappelle as malice or ignorant like ignorance not the word word but he's painting Dave Chappelle as like not caring about something and he's just trying to um you know diminish these people or he's trying to write these people off as ridiculous or we shouldn't care about this issue then I would say that person is virtue signaling, then they're not, they're not steel manning Dave Chappelle. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, this, this sequence gets into the idea of using basically Dave Chappelle, um, tells this story and he gets called into, and, and technically Darnell, I think you should tell the story, but I'll, I'll, Kind of <laughs> um, the audience will understand why I'm, I, I'm saying you need to tell the story but all right, all right, all right. Um, but let me I'll, I'll 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 preface it so 
The issue is he gets called into standards by the and Department practice. of Standards yeah. and Practices. Yeah, yeah, he gets called in for for on the Chappelle show. He wrote a joke with using the word faggot, and the use of that word was cons- basically they were, they were not willing not to to, to okay. allow. Yeah, yeah. So um, then so, Dave Chappelle. Okay, yeah. yeah so, you you tell this part. So of so so Dave Chappelle basically gets called into the office of Department of Standards and Practices for using um the word faggot in his um the Chappelle show. And so, you know, he's talking to the lady and and she says and and this is the comedic genius where he's he's imitating her and then, you know, she's like, "Well, yeah, you can't use the word." And she says, "You know, faggot softly." And Dave Chappelle every time he uses the word, he yells it. He yells the word excessively. And, excessively. And, and, like just Now, this isn't yeah. new. I, I, I was realizing while I was watching this, this, he always yells that word. Like, I don't know what it is. Um, just when he's telling jokes and he's using that word, mm-hmm. there's this extra enunciation of the word. And I think it's because he's actually playing off the fact that this word has connotations that, I mean, it's not like the end bomb where we... At- Tribute it with slavery. Now maybe it's hey, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. One, one thing at a time. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I would probably okay. disagree. So, but one yeah, thing yeah. at a time. So I, I mean, I, I just want to make my point uh, in the the so it's not taken out of context. May you know maybe there's an aspect where this word has, um, you know, I'll use the word homophobic history that that is um, very oppressive, but um, I I don't know. It's it's literally one of two words that has such heavy connotation. Yeah, but but okay. So so he goes to the woman and you know she says, "Don't use it, don't use it." And Dave Chappelle says, "Okay, I won't use it." And then he's you know leaving the office, and then he turns back around and says to the woman, "She's like, so if I can't say that, why? Like, how come? Wh- yeah. So how come I can't? How come you know?" How come we're allowed to say the word nigger? You know, how how come I can't say faggot? And she says, well, you can't say it because you're, you're not gay. You're not gay. And he says, so how come how come we're allowed to say um nigger? How how come we're, how come I'm I'm a how come the word nigger's not banned? And in, you know, he says to her, because I'm and and, and she kind of insinuated she kind of insinuated that well because you're from that demographic so you can say that and he says but i'm not a nigger and i I was when that was the genius that was the genius in the joke because yeah like like it was him saying okay well look you know okay i guess because you're only if you're gay you can use the word faggot and only if you're black you can use the word nigger but i'm not a nigger because that's not what I am. And so she was just saying that, okay, well you can't use the word faggot because you're not gay, but you can use the word nigger because you're a nigger. That was the, um, and, and I mean, when he said that, I, I, I was like instantly taken back to Chris rock. Now, I don't know if that was intentional or, I mean, it's uh, you, I think you had mentioned that he's had, Content like this. Yeah, I think because I I tweeted I tweeted um a Chris Rock joke a while back about how Chris Rock loves black people but hates niggers. And and you know Chris Rock has a skit. I almost want to say it's from Def Comedy Jam, um, but I don't know for sure. Um, and you know it's it's funny because it it actually one demonstrates the deeper context of these words have more than one meaning, right? Like, yes, we associate the F word with, you know, gay. But generally speaking, when someone's using it in a... um, I don't want to say derogatory, but aggressive manner or, or, you know, using it as an insult, you know, are they using it as, oh, you're gay and like pointing it? 
I would have said maybe in the 70s and the 80s. Today, how is it used? I don't know. I, I you know, I'm just again, I'm kind of brainstorming on the fly as I'm saying these things because it's I you know, it's it's the point that Dave Chappelle's pointing out the fact that we like there's a little bit of like what the heck is going on here? This doesn't totally make sense if I apply these principles universally. There's contradiction. There's yeah. contradictions there. Um Yeah, and so so you know, that's where, again, I, I say that's where I think this comedic genius part plays up or continually shows up through his content is he's demonstrating the, the fact that this principle actually has contra- is contradictory. Yeah, no, no, I would totally agree. And uh, yeah, it was definitely profound because I was like, yeah, because, yeah, why, why can we say the word nigger? Like yeah, because I'm I'm not one, and as a black as a black man, I was like yeah, I totally agree with that. I'm like yeah, I'm not a nigger, so so what are you in- insinuating? And we but use you these totally words. have impunity in using that word, right? Like no one's gonna. I mean, there might be some people who would yeah. say, ask you to hey, I don't I don't like that word. Can you not use that word around me? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so be it. But for the most part, no one's gonna hold it against you yeah in the way that they would hold it against me yeah but i i think i think as a black male i know for from you know what, what most black people it's always us against them when it comes to the homosexual community and them being more privileged than black people because that was also the sentiment that 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 um dave Chappelle was pointing out that Okay, so it's illegal to use the word faggot. We can't say that. But we can use the word nigger. Why? Right? We shouldn't, you know, and essentially, you know, we shouldn't be able to, we shouldn't be using any. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be saying both. But because of their, those are politically charged terms, Dave Chappelle intentionally would yell it. And I think what, what he was basically trying to show people is I can say this and you guys can't do nothing to me. There's, there's nothing you can do to me. You know, cancel culture. You can't, and, and I think that's why he's such a big figure and a prolific figure and will eventually be a historical figure because I believe Dave Chappelle cannot be stopped. You can stop Dave Chappelle. You, you, could, you could stop Barack Obama. Don't vote for him. You know what I mean? You could stop anybody. You can't stop Dave Chappelle because, you know, you can't own him. You don't own him. He's, he's his own man. Like, he can stop doing comedy tomorrow and he's good. Yeah, you know and, I mean, mean financially, but also, you know, if you look at the way he tours, you know, he's not beholden to anybody, right? right. Like, Netflix is paying him because they want the content. How, how much are they paying for this one? Twenty million. Okay, yeah, twenty one. And, and they, actually, and actually, that the the set he did for the Netflix special, the tickets were eight hundred dollars. No, no, that's incorrect. The okay. set the 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 tickets for the Netflix special were sixty bucks. You see it in the epilogue. It was okay. $800 when he was on Broadway. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, like yeah. two weeks later, which is part of the epilogue. Yeah. Uh, I'll put an ep- uh, basically um, as part, there's kind of a, a hidden part to Yeah, we'll, we'll, within, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't, yeah, we'll yeah. get there. I'll so, put it in the show notes page. Yeah, so, yeah, but that's a good point. Yeah, but either way, the ticket to see his show was $800. So, in, so, in Broadway. Yeah, so it was one of those things where you can see the power of Dave Chappelle and him being able to say what nobody else can say. And that's why I thought, you know, looking at the stand-up and looking at him and his work is important. So, so like, he gets into this next part about the alphabet I, people. Before we get there, there's one other thing that I, I should have mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and this comes from one of the two. I'll put two Joe Rogan clips in the show notes page, too, because I think he speaks about Chappelle in a very, one, insightful way, just in terms of understanding him. And that's the one where he talks about being on tour with him. But another one is about being on the top of his game. He talks about Chappelle. Basically, he's. Did you notice what he was wearing? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we're gonna. It was a branded jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a prison jumpsuit, but with his brand on it, his name on it. Mm -hmm. But it and it would also. I would also say though, it had style. Mm -hmm. Like he had a bit of you know, um, he was subliminal messaging, in in line with what you're saying. Like you can't put me in jail. You can't mm-hmm. put me in timeout. 
Mm-hmm. Like, there's a bit of that. You can't cancel me. Yeah, you can't. Like, this yeah. cancel culture, it doesn't matter. Yeah, As it doesn't said, apply I to him. say whatever I want. Don't You can't touch me. Which is which is a beauty because, like I said, it's always good to hear people speak honestly. Even though we might not like what they say, um, it's always good for people to speak honestly to help push a conversation, address tough topics and problems. But the, the, the third segment that we wanted to talk about was the alphabet people. Um, touch on that real quick, Joel. Yeah, well, I mean, so for anyone who hasn't figured it out, this is, I mean, we're, we're using his punchline. He's he was, he's referring to LGBTQ as the alphabet people. Um, and that alone, I was like, okay, that's funny. Like, whether, whether you're pro or anti or whatever your stance is on all of the issues in terms of right now, calling them alphabet people is just funny. Because he's like, they've garnered 25% of the alphabet. It's like, or whatever, you know, percentage <laughs> yeah, he, he said. said. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's like, it's funny. Uh-huh. Like, it doesn't matter what their stance is on the issue, but there's going to be people who are taking issue with it. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, the way I would summarize the jokes, he had this, you know, he was, he had really three or two topics uh, within the, his different jokes. One was kind of talking about the infighting within this, you know, the alphabet people. So how, and but also in line with that was like comparing and contrasting the people within, in the in, in that movement, if you want to call it that. Um, but then the very end of the joke, he does what I've been saying is like he takes the principle of, I mean, it comes down to to trans, and the trans issues, and he takes that principle and then applies it to a different context and goes. But we kind of see this is absurd. Um, and so, I mean, the the joke is he makes, he's like, what if I thought I was Asian on the inside? And every time I wanted to walk around talking a particular way. <laughs> well, he wasn't, he wasn't talking. He was making a facial feature of an Asian person. And voice, too. His voice. Yeah. Uh, so he was doing it. Yeah, yeah. But his, his wife is Asian. Um, and he made the joke. He's like, it only comes out when we're really fighting. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but I, I thought that was a pretty interesting perspective on the racial, um, the transracial idea and 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 alphabet people. But yeah, I, I thought I thought the analogy between like about the LGBTQ and everybody, you know, you know, riding in the car and their different nuances and where they're arguing. I, I thought I thought that was pretty clever, and 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 drawing those distinctions. So it was it was a pretty cool set. Yeah, because at the same time, it was funny. For someone who's, let's call it like you know, I would say I would be largely ignorant to to the to majority of people in that that group. Um, that it was insightful, right? At the same time, like yes, there's an aspect where I'm not going to take it as like totally true, but I'm going to to I can actually garner knowledge at the same time that I'm laughing at this. And and I think that's where, you know, comedy holds a place in society that the cancel culture is ignoring. And that is really there there it's a a bridge between people who, you know, see things differently. Where comedy can be a place where we can laugh at ourselves. We can laugh at each other in a way that like brings the walls down, brings the fighting down. Yeah. Okay. So the next one is mass shootings. I think he, this, you know, he just has such, the way he told this joke, like, was interesting because he made the story very, very personal. Right? Because he made it about, like, his kids. And going through it as a parent. Oh yeah, <laughs> yo. And so and so and so he says. So you know he says, "Son, so how was school?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, we practice, you know, you know, a drill." We didn't really have oh, school today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we practice the the mass shooting drill. And he's like, "Oh, like oh, like, you know, if there's a mass shooting," and then he had to break the news to his son. He's like, "Well, you know, it's sudden. Like, the mass shooting drill is not going to help because if they're going to come in and shoot you, you're probably going to get killed. And actually, they might even come after you because of who I am and the craziness that I talk." 
And he says, so when they start shooting at you, remember to run in zigzags. <laughs> so, get low and run. Yeah, get, get low and start running zigzags. <laughs> and it was just like, so he just jumped right in. And I thought it was um, very, uh, very funny. Um, and, and of course, yeah, because he's, yeah, he's like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, you know, happens a lot, a lot of shootings that happen. So he was just like, like it's, he's become numb to it. But he started to point out, um, a, uh, an interesting nuance about he's like the, he's like these drills don't help because what we're doing is we're informing the potential shooter on our procedures we're, so where all the kids like the, yeah. the potential shooter is in the class right and they're gonna know all of, all the procedures and you know so that he's, he kind of like just simply says yeah and the next you know the shooter is putting his hand up and asking okay so where are we so lining where up again supposed to be <laughs> where are we lining up right yeah so I, I thought, I thought, that was, I thought that was very profound. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, technically, yeah. If you're going to shoot up a school um, and you're sitting in the class and you're walking through the procedures and like, okay, so the police come here and the police come here. And when the police knocks three times, you open the door. Okay, great. I know if knock three times, teacher opens up and spraying up the class. Like it's a terrifying thing, but it was, I was just like, oh yeah, that's right. Cause the killer is in the class. So, um, but then he starts talking about the parents who, um, who are raising these killers and you know as the parents are kind of like okay well who you know it's not me or who is it and then he kind of emphasized well, so everyone's kind of looking around going like is your kid the potential is your kid the potential right yeah. like and then he points out white people as um raising yeah statistically raising the shooters and I, and i would like to ask you like like how do you respond to that joel like when when you see it's mostly white kids who do these things well what, what would you say to that uh i mean i find it interesting um i think it's like statistically speaking i find it interesting right you know being more analytically minded you know i start to think about okay what are the other factors that make this true or or that are the cause because the fact that your skin color is white has nothing to do with it in my opinion right there's a whether it's a cultural aspect whether it's whatever it is right um you know, what is different about the the white kids than the black kids that, <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah. makes this more likely? Now, you know, just being, you know, super, like if I was to speculate, my first question would be like, okay, do we prescribe um, antipsychotic medication to white kids more than we do to other demographics? Because there's a commonality that... Um, I think they said, I think I read something like all but one of the mass shooters in the last, you know, 25 years have been on antipsychotic medication. Um, so the point I'm trying to make is like, okay, do we prescribe these drugs to white kids more often? Um, you know, do, do we have a problem with more absentee parents making it more likely to diagnose their kids that they need these drugs? Like, I, I don't know. You know, these are all just questions. I don't know the answer. I'm not trying to say that I have the the mm-hmm. question. But as a statistician, you know, I'd start to say, okay, what are the delimitating factors? And so I find it funny, but it also makes me wonder, like, oh, like, it makes me think about it intellectually. And this goes back to your point of, or, you know, to, to, to where I think this special has value is it's causing, potentially causing us to have a conversation, right? So, you know, go back to the alphabet people joke with regards to wrong body, wrong race, uh, essentially is the way that I, you know, was was classifying it, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm an Asian person in a black guy's body. Yeah. Or or like, or the analogy of LeBron James changing his sex and then going from the NBA to the WNBA and scoring 800 points a game. <laughs> so I was right? just like, yeah, that's a, that's a, those those were good analogies. So he's he's raising questions that like. If we're willing to have honest conversations, mm-hmm. these are questions that, yeah, your proposed solution doesn't work. Yeah. Or, or you know, if we just simply, you know, using the trans scenario to say, well, if gender is another uh, characteristic like race, why does what you're saying about being in the wrong, born in the wrong gender body different than being in, born in the wrong race? Yeah. Well, right like so his point is like you might come to the conclusion that that's a stupid question because of x y and z factors okay fine like you're a lot like 
we can come to that conclusion. But to say you're not allowed to ask that question because it's insensitive, I think is what he's showing as the problem. Yeah, yeah. Similarly, you could say the same thing about the whole WNBA, NBA mm-hmm. thing with LeBron, right? Like, hey, let's use an absurd example, but Bruce Jenner is technically a good example. If he had converted when he was the Olympian athlete, what would we have done? And reality is you don't have a good answer to that question. And so recognizing that as much as you might dismiss this question as being insensitive and mean, it also demonstrates that your proposed solution has problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where the comedic genius to me comes into play Mm -hmm. is because he's highlighting some of the political issues as being much deeper than we're willing to discuss. No, I I totally agree. Uh, so, what about the juicy smolier? Uh, I I that, thought that, that sketch. I I was just, you know, the oh the sorry, great he's, thing he's, about he's sorry, it. He, sorry, he, he's oh, referring yeah. to Jesse, um, Jesse Smollett. Um, and he and sorry, never... sorry, real quick, real quick. Uh, for yeah, those of you who don't know what he did, is basically uh, he lied about um, a hate crime being done to him. Sorry, go ahead, Joel. And and there's no there's really no speculation left like we we know he lied about it he set up the whole thing up it's a huge controversy so um anyways yeah what i loved i just thought this was it was funny he retold the story with mockery but in a <laughs> manner that was entertaining like and you know calling him juicy smule smouye and, so, sorry, and never why, why was he doing it. that why was he doing that i was confused I, about that i i think it was just him like being funny like it was just silly. French, was it you know, like because he's a gay french black guy and so i don't know if Chappelle just thought oh you know i should use a different name right but but i thought to be honest had he told retold this without the different name it wouldn't have been as funny mm-hmm. the yeah. the juicy smouye because he's telling you the story as if you don't know what happened mm-hmm well, I mean, and how first. and how and how ridiculous! Because he said, you know, a lot of black people were quiet about the whole situation, <laughs> because for you know, for black people, you you were kind of like, what, you know, this, that this doesn't like, yeah, it doesn't told, add up. Yeah, he just says, yeah, to, to a black person, you're like, yes, that's a hate crime, but it doesn't add up. He says, and he made a good point, like as a detective, and yeah, he kind of took like a detective approach because he's like, wait a minute, the person called you a nigger and a faggot from Empire. He's like, first of all, anybody who's homophobic or racist isn't watching Empire, and they don't know who you are. And I was like, oh. I was like, yeah, that's right. They, yeah, unless, you know. Yeah, when he, he said that, I was like, oh, damn. I'm like, yeah, that's right. They wouldn't know who you are. And then he was just talking about, like, you know, you're in Chicago. And he's just like, yeah, he's like, you know, you're going late out, you know, late at night in the cold. And, yeah, it's just things weren't adding up. They're just like, yeah, like, wearing wearing a MAGA hat in Chicago and this and this he's and like that. where's kanye yeah 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 do a do a background check where kanye was at that time but it was it was one of those things where you know he just started adding things up you're like yeah this doesn't make any sense he's just like he's like how many of you guys have actually been to chicago have you guys seen a rope anywhere in chicago he's like like right now not in the 1850s but now like where where where's anybody yeah. got a rope from to hang him from you know what i mean you know it was i think the juicy smouye line Made it so that he kind of made it a personal story, I, and at least that's how it felt for me, right? Like when he when he made the joke, "Justice for Juicy," <laughs> I I was dying, right? But like he couldn't have said that, like "Justice for Jesse" was is not funny, right? Right, and so I don't know how much of it, like why did he do it? Maybe it's just like some of the phonetic sounds of it just made it work, mm-hmm. um, you know. I, I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan and he talks about so many times, you know, people ask him about being a comedian and he just, you know, he talks about, you know, when we see these net Netflix specials that like, you know, the year before this is, is really them working out the joke. Right. So in, it might even be this right now. So Jesse smooth, juicy smoothie was, I'm, I'm labeling it as like um, sequence 11, you know, maybe he originally told this at, you know, sequence six. And so some of that, you know, their, their earlier shows getting ready for the special is even figuring out where does this joke fit? Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought 
the way he he did this entire lineup of jokes was mm-hmm. was really really good. Mm-hmm. Like it all flowed so well, especially when I look at my notes afterwards and kind of go like, "Oh my goodness!" Like he lined up. A, I mean, we didn't get to them, but he lined up a couple gun things in a row. Like for example, like we talked about, you know, um, the mass shootings. But he had two more sequences after that that were or, or three really related to guns, and they were. You know, the question I would have is like, hey, maybe what would it, you know, did was the mass shootings always the first one? And, and you know, um, this is, you know, again, comedic genius slash working out your craft is kind of a, a, a term I think Joe Rogan uses. But the idea that like, you know, maybe just changing a word or changing the order of the punchline just slightly and realizing like, oh, wait, this works better than this. Um, and so, you know, how much of this was something he just jumped on right away and, and was like naturally came to him versus he told this story because in again going in the epilogue he told the story okay about, le- okay let's le- okay well yeah we're going to transition to that so yeah start talking about the epilogue now so the epilogue is essentially a 20 22 minute um kind of add-on that you have to there's a couple weird ways to catch it uh, i'll put it in the show notes page but essentially if you're watching the special and you let it run all the way through it should auto play on netflix as like let's call it episode two of sticks and stones um the first part is about the two weeks later when he was in at broadway and and i thought that was the best additional comedy content um but overall, the entire epilogue, I, I mean, I love Q&A type stuff and most of it's Q&A with the audience, like post this, probably this set or, or a, a set very, very, very similar. Um, and so, you know, he's just doing Q&A, sitting on the stage with a smoke and a drink, um, just, you know, talking to the audience, letting them ask questions and just, you know, but then also be being his comedic self and then kind of adding skits within his storytelling um so where i brought this up was that he in the epilogue he talked um about you know just different things that give you insight into um you know maybe even where this joke came from so he talks about the fact that right after this happened he was in an event where nobody was supposed to have their phones all you know it's all locked up and everything he's like I didn't know there was a reporter in there who took impeccable notes. And it's just like, you know, he's basically saying the reporter basically brought their phone in, recorded the whole thing. And fortunately, he was saying that he was critical of the story before it broke, that it was that the Nigerians were caught, who were the ones who roughed them up. Um, mm-hmm. and And so, you know, I think of that as like, you know, how much was him just you know, during his show, also just having some social commentary and and having fun with the audience, just saying like, hey, I'm not trying to say whether he's innocent or guilty, but hey, there's some weird things in this story that just don't make sense, right? Like he said, the the things that the the MAGA-wearing hat white supremacist said to him sounded, like Dave Chappelle's like, that sounds like what I would say, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't sound like what a a KKK person would say. Yeah, that's Um, funny. You know, and so how much of that was just him going, hey, you know what, this, he, because he said when the reporter published it, he thought, okay, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, right after that, Juicy Smoothie got busted um, for for setting the whole thing up. Yeah. So what, what would be your two cents you want to leave the listeners with? I mean, first thought is... You know, I'm going to put a bunch of the articles in the show notes with respect to, you know, people being critical of him, as well as a couple that were positive, um, just to, to, to provide some balance. But but I think, um, you know, I think Chappelle is putting a f- his finger on the fact that we are creating more and more issues that we can't have dialogue about. You either have to be on the right side of history and you have to hold a particular view. There's no room for nuance. There's no room for conversation. Um, and I think his special really point puts a finger on the fact that like, he really just pokes fun at all of the things that we're not allowed to talk about. Right. Like 
you know, for example, mass shootings, we're not allowed to have a conversation around what are we going to do here? Like literally gun control is the only answer. If you don't like gun control, you want kids to die. Like, okay, that those are both absurd. Like this is absurd, right? Like that is, that's not having a conversation. That's holding to an ideology. And so my two cents is that, you know, take this as, you know, somebody who comedians are always the people who talk about the thing we're not supposed to talk about. And, and they, you know, they do it in a manner to try to make people laugh. They're not doing it in a manner to like, I mean, some, I'm not obviously not all comedians, but in general, comedians are trying to make people laugh. They're not trying to belittle people for the sake of belittling people. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to point out something that's funny and ironic. And, you know, um, I mean, there's a, a, a trans person that shows up in the epilogue who, who laughed hysterically. He said they laughed at, uh, in the epilogue, it said that they laughed at the trans jokes harder than the rest of the jokes. And, and that's, I think that's something that we're losing in our culture today about laughing at our own, laughing at ourselves for things that are, you know, they are what they are, right? Like if someone makes a critical comment towards Christians that is funny, I should be able to laugh about it. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, that's a problem because I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm so, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the right uh, classification of that characteristic is, but it just doesn't sound right to me that we shouldn't be able to laugh at the things that are even silly or weird, right? Like I'm I'm laughing at it because I'm recognizing, yeah, it's a little peculiar. So what about you? What's, what's your two cents? Why, what, uh, you know, what do you want to leave the, the audience with, whether they're Christian or not? I mean, maybe the, you know, cursing and, you know, taboo, talking about taboo subjects like Michael Jackson and pedophilia is something that they don't want any interest in. Yeah, I think, I think that, like I talked about the comedic genius of Dave Chappelle and the irony of the comedian being seen as silly and uneducated. Uh, Dave Chappelle flips, and a lot of other comedians flip that on its head because um, this this um, special, um, he was speaking, he was giving a lot of intellectual insight into uh, a lot of controversial um, issues that we've been having in our culture and, and the level of seriousness that he comes at these uh, topics with, but with humor. Like he, he does a very good job of mixing the both of them. Uh, and that's where the comedic genius is. And so the application point I would leave, or my two cents I would leave the listener with is that uh, we simply, so simply we should be having more uncensored conversations. And the application for the Christian would be um, these, um, his, uh, Dave Chappelle's uncensored um, commentary on these difficult topics opens the door for the Christian to be biblically uncensored in our witness, um, in bringing, um, biblical holistic solutions to these problems. So yeah, it's important to, uh, be able to be brave and be prayerful in crossing that line. So I think the thing that frustrates me with Christian content is you know, in light of what you just said about having uncensored conversation, that we're not engaging in conversation about having, living peacefully with the foreigner. And what I mean by that is, how do we, you know, um, bring up, like, how do we engage in conversation with somebody who doesn't hold to a biblical worldview and try to reconcile about living in under the same laws, right? I mean, it, you know, it's like in cross politic, for example, when I listen to their show, sometimes I'm like, are you almost recommending evangelism through the law? Do you know, like, oh, by telling people what's wrong, by making it legislatively wrong, we're somehow going to some that's a form of sharing the gospel or, or carrying out God's justice. Um, and, and the reason I bring that up here is just to say that this idea of uncensored conversation where like 
How do we just engage in conversation to understand the other side? You know, pursue understanding their perspective. Don't pursue telling them why their perspective is wrong. Um, Because I think that's part of this problem that, you know, the the Christian side of it, use the trans bathroom scenario as a, you know, an example where there's just a lack of conversation around, okay, let's try to find a solution that works for everybody. It's like, I think there's two sides to that. There's both, you know, being unapologetic with sharing the world, the biblical worldview, but I think it also requires us to have uh, an understanding perspective that we need to be willing to hear where people are coming from and not just trying to shut them down and tell them that they're wrong because we're trying to convey or, or convert them. Oh, on that note, I want to say, you know, the last episode, we got some really good uh, feedback from audience. I appreciate it. Uh, I think, you know, we want to see more of that, whether it's commenting, sharing, um, you know, just just tell us what you think. I mean, with respect to this show, with respect to this episode, um, you know, tell us if if there you think we, we missed the point or if you think we missed something, if you think we're, you know, uh, if you think there's a joke he made that's way too offside, you know, give us your two cents. Um, and we want to engage. Uh, what you guys, for those of you who watched it, let us know what you guys think. For those of you guys who heard the episode, let us know if you had any more questions. Uh, you can reach us at uh, Six Cents Report on Twitter and on Facebook. Joel also took the courtesy of drawing up a nifty Excel spreadsheet on the show on the topics he touched so if you want a copy of that you can email us six cents makes change but you heard me does that make sense